Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, last week, the Advertising Council named this year's winners of the Effectiveness Awards, or the Effies as they're known. They're the ones serious people like because it's not just about creativity, although I like creativity done well, like my panellists today. At the very top of the Effies tree is the Grand Effie, and this year it went to NRMA Insurance and the Monkeys. Now, to be honest, I had no idea the NRMA was in such a troubled state back in 2017. The NRMA and the Monkeys' entry for this year's Effies that I got to read, I wasn't a judge, was more heavily redacted than an Edward Snowden interview with the CIA. But a clear narrative emerges from the case study. The NRMA was in real trouble. Try a few of these excerpts. The NRMA insurance brand and business were tanking. This once iconic brand was also struggling for relevance. And the final one, through 2016 to early 2017, NRMA Insurance's brand strategy had centred around the core promise of confidence. It was so bad that staff had become disenchanted with the brand they represented. And there's lots more. But under those heavily black redactions across 20 pages lies all sorts of numbers that substantiate the dire challenge the NRMA was facing. That was 2017. Today, all the key business and brand metrics have turned around markedly. At least the FE judges believe so from the numbers I can't read. So instead of the tantalising numbers today, we have the people who oversaw the turnaround and won this year's grand FE. IAG CMO Brent Smart, the Monkeys co-founder and Accenture Interactive's ANZ lead Mark Green and Fabio Baresti, Chief Strategy Officer at the Monkeys and Managing Director at Accenture Interactive. So let's hear from them. Welcome uh, to you all, gents. And to you first, Brent Smart, the NRMA was in really bad shape. I didn't know this. Unpack how bad and what were the core challenges when you first landed? Um, and, and if so, why did you take the gig as CMO? Welcome, Brent Smart, anyway. Yeah, look, the business was like many large incumbent market leaders um, struggling to grow. Uh, and, and really, the, the business looked, looked pretty good on the surface because we were able to increase our top line revenue and be quite profitable. But what was really happening was the actual customer numbers were, were reducing at the same time. And you've got to look beyond the top line revenue and really look at like, you know, what's driving the business. And, and you know, you don't want to be a business that's charging less customers more. You want to be a business that is growing adding to its customer franchise. Uh, and that was really the challenge. We'd been in decline for quite some time and lost market share for quite some time. So on the surface, it looked pretty good. The profits were strong. Top line revenue was strong. Uh, but but there was a alarming sort of trend um, that, that we were declining. Uh, and so that was really the job. How do we stop the decline? How do we get this big, iconic, market-leading brand back to growth. And it's hard to do, right, when you're the big market leader. Um, when you're the challenger brand nipping at the heels, um, you know, it, it's it's easier to grow off that low base than it is to grow off a huge base. Just for context here, Brent, um, uh, you were in New York and you decided to come back to Australia and take the CMO's role at IAG, right? That was the context. Did you know uh, before you took the gig that this is what you were facing? I, I knew that the brand wasn't as strong as it had been and I knew there were challenges, although I wouldn't have been 
talking to me, right? They would have been looking for a change of marketing leadership. Um, but I wasn't living in Australia, so I didn't have a lot of local market context, to be really honest with you. I had history with the brand. I'd worked on the NRMA brand a couple of times in my career. Uh, well, with IG a couple of times. I worked on NRMA um, at MNC Saatchi uh, at, at, you know, sort of in the early 2000s. And then over in New Zealand, I'd worked with IG as well. So I, I had history with the business and, and, I, and I knew the business. So I, ha- I had a lot of context. Obviously, I had some really... Uh, you know, honest conversations as well when I joined. So, so the, now there were no surprises. I knew it was a turnaround job. Um, the main surprise, to be honest, Paul, was they picked me for the job. Like, right. I'm pretty different to um, most financial services CMOs. Um, I'd never been a corporate CMO before, uh, and I certainly made it clear that I believe that that creativity and brand. We're going to be the ways to turn the business around. And that's what's played out with the with the effies that we've just won. It has absolutely been a creative-led turnaround and a brand-led turnaround. Let's just start with from the get-go then. So there was the challenge. There was the problem. How did the strategy develop and how long did it take uh, once you arrived? So when you saw what you were facing, what did you think? Well, well, I, I, I like as I said, I, I knew we had to transform the brand. And and really what we had to do was, I think, get the soul of the brand back. So so what was really obvious looking at the work that that the brand was running, I mean, it was this sort of um, fictional advertising character called Mr. Confidence, who was a middle-aged white guy in a suit and kind of smarmy. I mean, it felt completely wrong for the NRMA brand, mm. which was this beautiful brand that stood for help. When it, Certainly when I had grown up with a brand, that's, that, that's what the brand was about. And so, you know, the first thing I did was I went back. I went back and looked at, like, when was the brand at its strongest? You know, there are so many clues in the history of brands, and I think so many marketers don't bother to go back and understand the history of brands. Um, and it was really clear to me that, like, NRMA equals H-E-L-P was this incredibly strong brand equity that had lived for many, many years but hadn't been used for 15 years by the time I'd got there. So, so it was pretty sort of obvious to me that we had to get back to help. And then then what was interesting, I went and talked to our frontline team, the people who deliver help to customers day in, day out. And it was so clear to me that help just ran through their veins. It was just so in the DNA of the company and our people. So you put those two things together, the heritage of the brand, the DNA of our people, and, and it was really obvious to me, help's the thing we've got to own. I just want to clear up though. So, so how much, you, you talk about the brand being the issue here to turn NRMA around. How much, though, was it about the product and the price and a few other things about the business? Because obviously you're saying brand was the problem, but you, you, you convinced yourself and the team and the, and the executive team that what product was okay, price was okay, it was about the branding that was the issue. Yes, and, and in fact, we are the premium brand in the market. So, so that means that brand becomes even more important because if you don't have a brand that is able to command that premium, then you've got a problem, right? Uh, and, you know, the product was great. Um, you know, our claim service is the best in the market. You know, I always say to people that we might cost a little bit more, but if your house burns down, you want to be with us because we will do the right thing and we will absolutely help you. I know you said that, you know, there was obviously a preparedness for the executive team and the CEO at the time to to try something different because you were a different sort of character. Um, did, did it take much convincing uh, for them to say, okay, our products are right. Our prices are right. Distribution's okay. All the other things, and yet we need to we need to work on the brand and get it back. Was that a difficult conversation? And did it take much to to, to get everyone over the line? 
Not really. I was really positioning that we needed to get back to, you know, the equity of the brand and get back to what the brand stood for and, and really build a brand that our people would be proud of. And so I think that's pretty good thing to be talking to the leadership of a company about. What company wouldn't want that? Mm. So, so, so I, I think they were very supportive. I think the other really important piece was, um, you know, our CEO at the time, Peter Harmer, was very passionate about being a purpose-led business. So the other really important thing we did was the NRMA brand's all about help, but IG's purpose is to make your world a safer place. And and being a, and, you know one of the big things that that I was passionate about was that purpose can't just live at a corporate level, we, we, we have to actually deliver that purpose through our biggest brand that touches the most customers, um, you know, that has the scale to really make that purpose real uh, and for that purpose mm. to really make a difference. So, so I also think like linking our corporate purpose into our, biggest, into our biggest consumer brand was a really important piece as well. And of course, help and making the world a safer place, which is the purpose of IG, fit together beautifully, right? I mean, I mean that's, what, right. that's what help's all about. So... Uh, I think that was a really important piece too, showing that the purpose of our company could really be lived in our biggest brand. So the other thing that's the other interesting point in in the uh, FE's entry is that there was a broader malaise towards the insurance sector full stop, right? It wasn't just the NRMA. And there's a point here that says, you know, Australia's disengagement with insurance was epic. So it was a category problem that you were out you were out doing the category and the category was in trouble as well. That's sort of the context, was it? Well, I mean, look, tr- trust in the category was low. Um, and, you know, we're talking, this is just before the Royal Commission hit, right? So so, so trust mm. in, in the insurance category was, wasn't very high. Now, we were lucky that we were the most trusted brand in a category that wasn't very trusted. So, so again, it, it, there's that sort of unlocking the power of the brand. But also we saw under insurance, really grow in this country like we, we hadn't before. So so more and more homes were choosing, more and more, you know, owners of homes were choosing to actually opt out of insurance, not have insurance. Like under insurance right. rates were going up. Um, right. So, so yeah, there were definitely category challenges. I, I, I think there's always a category challenge with insurance because it's a low involvement product. Um, it's a product we don't buy very often. Um, you know, the stat that sort of knocked me over when I first joined was, was, and this is from Roy Morgan, and it's about the category, and that is, you know, when the average Australian gets their insurance premium, 79% of them don't do anything except pay it. They don't, they don't get a quote, they don't search, they don't shop around, they just pay it, right? right. They're on autopilot. So there's, there's low engagement in the category, right? And that's, again, why I go straight to brand, because if all you're doing is performance marketing or talking about your product or talking about your price, you only talk to those 20% of people who are in the market and care. The other 80% who aren't in the market today, they don't care about that stuff. They're not thinking about insurance. So you've got to find a way to engage with them emotionally. You've got to build mental availability with those people, create memory structures, all that stuff that gets talked about so much. And by the way, you were onto that early, right? You were onto, you, you mean mental availability and all those things that we now talk quite commonly in, the, in and around marketing. You would do it, you'd, you'd landed on that in, in, in 2007 you and you, that's where you knew you were going to go. Yeah, well, all the literature was there, right? Um, mm. But I think I think what we wanted to do was find a way to measure it. Like, let's not just make it a theory. Let's actually measure mental availability. So we put in place a mental availability tracker really early. Um, and that's a really important piece of this too. If, if you want to prove effectiveness, you've got to measure the right stuff and you've got to set the metrics up the right way. So, for instance, a couple of early things we did that were really important. Yeah, worked out how do we measure mental availability for our, our category? 
we really felt that we can improve the brand value if we built the brand, right? So we got brand finance in to actually do a really robust valuation of the brand. So we're able to show improvements in brand value over time. That was a big piece of the Effie paper, um, you know, that we just won for was we're really able to demonstrate that we're increasing brand Mm. value and we're increasing it much faster than the other top 100 brands in Australia. You know, the average, the average, the average big brand in Australia is in the top 100. They don't even move their their brand strength index, it's called, which is the best sort of brand equity measure. They don't move it by more than a point a year. We moved it five points in one year. Um, so right. we had incredible sort of traction on, 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 on showing the value of what we were building. But it's really important you get clear on the metrics that matter and you, you, you set those metrics up the right way at the start of this journey so that one year in, two years in, three years in, you can really show how you are building momentum and delivering improved commercial value. Okay, so you know the problem in front of you and you know what you want to do and uh, what you need to do to make it better, fix it. At what point then, or uh, at what point did you bring in the monkeys and why? Very early. I mean, these guys have been on the journey with me, feels like since day one, like, you know, I brought them in very quickly. So, Look, you know, I, I felt we needed to change our, our creative partner to get um, some new, fresh thinking. Um, I looked at the work that the monkeys were doing, particularly on the – I was very aware of the lamb work when I was over in New York, and, and I, I thought that was the best the best work making a big cultural impact, and that's the sort of work I wanted to do. I met with these guys, and in the first conversation, um, we were incredibly aligned on everything, including – both Mark and Fabio, who, who you know, who are joining us today, both of them said to me, "Oh, you got to get back to help." Unprompted. Yeah. You know, so, so we had this sort of meeting of the mind, sort of straight away, and it became really clear to me that I don't need to run a big pitch process. I just, I, I just want to work with the guys whose work I already admire, and and who mm. have a very aligned point of view on my brand. I mean, let's go. Good call. And so you did. I think the really important thing that we did at the start, and I'm really glad that I did, and that I do again if I find myself in a Another CMO role, not that I ever want to leave this one. I think I've got the best one in the country. But but um, we didn't try and solve the entire brand problem from the get-go. Right? We didn't try and relaunch the brand as our first um, brief or project together. What I said to the guys was, let's make something together that, start, that helps us to sort of start work out what this new tone of voice for the brand is going to be like and really sends a bit of a message to the market, but most importantly to our staff that this brand is changing and that this brand is going to start turning up in a really new and different way. So we made a Christmas ad together. And that doesn't sound very innovative doing a Christmas ad, except for an insurance company. It's pretty different, right? Normally retailers do Christmas ads, not insurance companies. And we just did a really simple, beautiful Christmas ad that encouraged people to drive safe at Christmas. And what was great about that was it was pure brand. It was very helpful and it was very on purpose to make the world a safer place. And so, so all those things were sort of coming together. Um, and, and it was absolutely loved by our people. Um, you know, I got inundated with messages from our people saying, yeah, the NRA, NRA brand is back. This is the brand that I came to work for years ago. Um, and it really gave us positive momentum. And the other thing it did was it really earned the trust of key people in our business because they're on the journey with us. You know, we, we, we made one thing, we put it out to the world, it works, had the trust to go and do more. And I think, I think, I think often... New CMOs try and bite it all off at once and try and like relaunch the brand straight away. And I get it. You want to make impact. But but I would say one of the smartest things we did was was let's make one thing together. 
let's put it out to the world and learn from that and let that inform the bigger brand relaunch. And I'm really glad we did it that way. And I think it's a it's part of the reason we've been successful. Before I get to Fabio and Mark, um, there was in, in the Effie's uh, submission, it, it talks about how there was real pressure from the business. They, there was a sense of wanting to see, see some early successes, some early short-term wins in, in sort of customer numbers and so forth because the business was under pressure. The, did this first piece start to reassure them or when when did when did everyone start when did the team start to go okay we might be onto something yeah yeah when we ran that i mean it, it had right. a real instant impact um and and what it did was it you know it got the brand talked about it got the brand into culture um mm. and the brand hadn't been there for a long time so mark and fabio just just we'll just backtrack a little bit because i'm really keen and interested on in your context of um of when this whole process started for you did you both have any sense of how troubled uh, the troubled state that the RMA was in um, prior to uh, having the conversation with Brent and, and sort of things panning out? Uh, Fabio, I'll, I'll go first and then you jump in. Um, look, I've obviously been in the market quite a long time and have worked on the NRMA brand historically. And uh, what it felt like to me that it, it had probably lost its way, um, it was at its best when it did stand for help. And following the demerger of the insurance business and the road service business, it moved away from help. And I think that was always a big mistake from a marketing standpoint. When was that? How long ago was that, Mark? When did that, that, that uncoupling happen? Probably the early 2000s from memory. Yeah, I was going to go there. Yeah. Let's, both, let's agree and we both get in trouble. It was 2000. Yeah, it was 2000. Yeah. So, so, so I worked on it in 1999. Was, uh, I actually moved from Melbourne to Sydney and to work on the NRMA brand. And the first conversation Brent and I had was, uh, what do you think of the positioning? I said, it's wrong. It needs to be help. And he said, exactly. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And so there was a, a, an immediate meeting of the minds around where we needed to take the brand. Um, and then, you know, Fabio and I had a conversation and we were kind of started to build out what that might look like. Fabio, your sense was you'd already probably got a heads up from Mark that he thought, you know, something was awry. But what was your what was your take? It's really hard to know from the outside how what the business how it's performing. To be honest with you, try try reading a redacted document. By the way, oh mate, <laughs> I think I might have made that point a few times. Just joking. The, the actual ones are locked away. Yes, but sorry, but sorry from the outside. Yeah, Marty will sent out um, the Mandalorian to get me. <laughs> yes, it, it's really interesting from the outside. It's hard to know the numbers, but you could tell the brand was lost from the outside, just right. from the industry when you're either reading the blog or, or just keeping an eye on things because it. It was trying way too hard to sell itself to people. As Smarty said, it turned into this smarmy corporate dude in a blue suit who was overacting um, and, and just completely at odds with the the empathy and warmth that the brand had always historically represented. And, you know, I, I worked with Greeny back in the day as well at the agency that was running Sarchi, that was running sorry NRMA back in the day, and you just knew what the brand was about, and it just wasn't that. And you could tell they'd fall into that category trap. Of, of trying to over-entertain everyone, um, you know, treating customers as hapless fools in the way they were going about it um, and, and just trying to be this saviour that comes in to save the day in, in, in just a really weird way. And the signals were there that something wasn't quite right, that it had to go and uh, uh, find itself again, which is for us when Smarty walked in the door is, like, amazing. Like, here comes this guy who's got a, uh, a track record of, of loving doing good work and wants to do something differently. He comes from outside of the fence as well, which is mm. um, which is always good. He wasn't going to do it the normal way. All the right signals and ingredients were there. 
Yeah, and so post that first little uh, Christmas um, uh, run, what, what happened to the rest of the roadmap? Did you did you then together map out what it was going to look like in 2021, or how far ahead were you getting uh, in your roadmap? Well, we started we looked at started to look at relaunching the brand uh, with help at the heart of it, and and I think from that point it was uh, just uh, really getting back to its roots and. And bringing in a style of advertising that uh, had had its at its heart the help strategy, and we felt like from launching that we then had this narrative around how to bring it to life over a number of years, and we we kept hitting it repeatedly and have done so ever since. And I think that consistency, uh, the tone of voice, and also winning over uh, the internal audience, particularly staff. You know, they really felt like they had their brand back um, from everything that we uh, got back from Smarty in terms of the feedback from the team. And and I think once you get that momentum internally around a brand and around the marketing department, I think, um, you know, Smarty had a lot more license to push the boat out. And consequently, I think we've taken bolder strides over that time, and it's paid dividends. I think every every campaign has um, been successful, has driven customer acquisition, and importantly, I think it's uh, it's a brand that's loved by the community, but also by the internal stakeholders. That's when you know you're kind of doing something right. Brent, from the in- internally, Fabio talks about a sort of sentiment uh, starting to shift. How long did you have to wait to see some business metrics start to shift uh, in, in, in your efforts? You need patience if you're going to build a brand. I think what a lot of marketers sort of fall for is, is the quick wins of performance marketing, or which lets you show a really quick ROI, looks fantastic in the first six months. This brand building doesn't look great in the first six months. And you have to have the commitment, the patience, and the vision to sell everyone, this is, a, this is a long-term journey we're on and it's going to get better over time. Um, and it did. So, so I'll be really honest with you, Paul, that there wasn't like an instant um, turnaround. You know, you switched it on and, and we saw the response, but it's built year after year after year. And I think what's really interesting for me is, you know, there's a lot spoken about how short CMO 10 years are and, and, and you know, for me, seeing here now four and a half years into the job, I'm now seeing the benefits of our cumulative brand building over the last four years. And, you know, our, C- our CPAs, our cost per acquisition is getting better. Um, you know, when we do the performance stuff, it works better because the brand is strong. Um, and, and you know, I'm, j- I'm just seeing the results now from the brand building we've been doing, you know, over several years. And I, I, I just, I just, I guess I don't understand why more CMOs wouldn't want to hang around to get that benefit, you know, like, like, cause for me, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And it really proves the power of, of brand building, but, but it, it, you don't see it straight away. You really mm. have to make sure that you've got a really clear narrative, um, that you've got support and that you're able to show that it's getting better and it's improving, but, but it's not an instant quick win brand building. So are any of you human in that? Was there at any point any any doubt of going, mm, gee, was there any wavering at any point? It was just dogged, no, this is going to work. We're going to make this work. Absolutely not. Yeah, no. Look, I, I think we've been committed to the path from the outset and uh, um, and I think it's, it's proven to be the right path. 
Mark Fabio, in terms of the landing on the executional idea and the tone, because you've done a number of campaigns, right? It wasn't just one. You've done lots of. I think in the in the uh, submission, there must be obviously six, seven different uh, least executions of what you've done since seventeen. But um, the the tone and and, and executing. Um, much experimentation, any research, any pre-testing? The, the only pre-testing was us sitting around a table saying this feels right. Yeah, is that right? You know, in the beginning, yeah, in, in a really good way, to be honest with you, because the category was doing it one way, which was taking the piss, having a laugh. And to go and test amongst that group of, you know, brands doing it that way, it would, it would have been a tricky thing, I reckon, to, to cut through at the time. But, you know, when we sat around the table, we talked about being heartwarming and we talked about having empathy. And when the rest of the category is being funny and having a laugh and, and, and making light of people's vulnerability, to take that strategy is actually quite a brave move, I think, for, for someone to come and say, we're going to do it that way to cut through. You know, we're not mm-hmm. going to we're not going to scream at people because it's low involvement. We're actually going to do it in a very in a softer, softer way, but in an emotionally powerful way. I, th- I think also, um, you know, uh, our corporate history was important because we knew we had seen when the NRMA brand had been very strong and doing great things. Um, but Smarty and I had worked on um, on the business across two different agencies and had success with a more empathetic approach. So we, we, we kind of knew um, what the market expected from the NRMA brand. And uh, I think that's, that's where, you know, the work has followed in that vein of um, across the, all the campaigns that we've done. Now we've, we've, We've told the stories in different ways. We've kind of come at it from a different angle. Um, but ultimately, the feel of the brand is consistent and the storytelling has evolved and in some degrees improved and gotten better over that time period as well. That's that's what we were all kind of sitting around the table going, okay, we've got an NRMA ad on our hands and a campaign to go to market with. And uh, I think that's um, there, there wasn't research. I'm not sure there's maybe one campaign we've uh, we've we've done some research on and that was uh, as we pushed into new frontiers but um, it's mostly been people with a lot of experience around doing this um, and that are strategic strategic and creatively oriented and I think the results have been strong. So Brent, I mean, you would be philosophically uh, sort of not wedded to pre-testing and research anyway, with your with your history, with your career. Not not wedded is putting it very politely. <laughs> I don't believe in it. Violently against it, perhaps. I don't believe it makes ideas better. I I believe in doing plenty of research up front to really understand the customer and understand the brief and have proper insights. Uh, I, I I don't believe in creative testing at all. Greeny just. Greeny just busted my cover big time saying we've done it once. That's true. We've only ever done it once. And that was, um, you know, as Greeny said, we, 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 you know, we take the NRMA brand as WA in South Australia and, and, you know, COVID has only made those states even more parochial than they've ever been. So we just wanted to make sure that we weren't sitting here in our Surrey Hills bubble um, creating something that wasn't going to resonate in Perth and Adelaide. Right, so so right. We, that that's an example where where research was very useful. We learned some right. stuff and it informed the script and it made the script better. But we did the research in a very strategic way. We didn't sort of do, you know, formulaic pre-testing. It was much more mm. in-depth, qual to really sort of it was qual, understand, right. understand what was going on. Yeah. So, but no, I don't believe. What were some of, what were some of the nuances uh, in your in in that in that qual research that sort of informed and made it better? It was a big thing around tone of voice. Like we had to be humble. You know, humility mm. was really important. We couldn't be the sort of big, 
New South Wales brand, yeah. you know, loudly coming into WA South Australia. Also have to be careful of sort of a bit of a um, hero complex, like we're here to save the day sort of sort of thing. I don't know, right. Fabs, you can probably talk to more. I mean, Fabs is very involved in in all the research and the strategy. What, what else, Fabs, do we learn along the way? That, that hero complex was, was the biggest thing as well because they don't need an eastern seaboard brand coming into, as Smarty said, to to save them from um, save them from themselves and whatnot. So that getting that tone right was really important. I think also making them feel part of it. So just having some cultural connection to their local states as well was super important for the brand to to cut through. But you know, I think the other thing was just doing it in a way that welcomed them into the brand and didn't feel like we were just hitting the ground running with what we've been doing over here. We need to introduce ourselves in the right way that was going to be inviting, welcoming. But also bloody cut through over there as well, right? We, our brand, the way it's, we've designed it, the way it communicates, it's positioning, it's designed to cut through in those markets. But getting just that tone and, and just the little pieces, right, was was critical to cutting through. But look, it's early days yet on it. But hopefully, um, mm-hmm. hopefully, it's going to go gangbusters over there. Hopefully, yeah. Well, I don't want to get too much more detail on this shit because we've blown the cover for the final question. Is what's next, and we can talk about this. But so I've just going to pull it back for two seconds, which is, so, you know, Brent, you talked about uh, being patient and building for the long term. Uh, at what point then did you see the business numbers come? I think in looking in the submission, you know, business objective one was return NRMA insurance back into positive customer and market share growth. When did that happen? How long did you have to wait? We saw we saw it very clearly in the first in the first twelve months, but we didn't see it in the first six months. Right. But what we've seen, it's it's more a story of the cumulative benefit of brand building. So, so since we've been on this journey, you know, as, as we mentioned, we, we had years of decline uh, and we've had 30 plus months of positive customer growth since we've, since we've launched this. Um, right. so, so, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's quarter upon quarter upon quarter and, and it's cumulative and it, it gets better and better. Um, and I think what's really interesting for me is, is, you know, I've believed in a long time in this sort of philosophy that that brand building can create future demand, right? Like it's we've got amazing tools at our disposal right now to target people in market, and 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 Google and Facebook have built incredible businesses um, with their superpowers to target customers who are in market. But how do you target someone who doesn't even know they need your product? Right. Right. How do you do that? There's only one way to do that. There's only one app for that. It's called brand building. And what brand building does, it's this incredible way that you can talk to people, reach people, build mental availability of people who don't even know they're in the market for insurance. And yet we can still reach them and still connect with them. And then when they do get in the market, which could be a year, two years, three years, it's a long-term thing, um, you know, you're more likely to have them choose your brand. And, and and this case study, this this long term effects FE paper really proves that out. The numbers. Is there anything you can can you give me any quantum? Let's start on business objective one. So this is where I guess you know the judges look at at your uh, what what the monkeys and you guys have have done into the lead up of the problem, the challenge, and and then what you've achieved. The first business objective uh, was to you know as I said uh, return NRMA back to positive customer and market share growth. Any quantums there you can talk to? Yeah, well, look, I mean, if you look at our, our financial performance in the last financial year, um, you know, we we had more than 1% growth on the, on the NRMA business in terms of customer numbers. And that doesn't sound like much, but we've got a really big customer base. Um, and, and, you know, that was an excellent result. And and again, that's that's been building. Uh, we, we've seen customer growth. We've seen growth in more months 
than we've seen decline. We've, we've, we've had 30 plus months of growth since we've been on this journey. And, and our total numbers last year were up in terms of growth. So, so you know, it's, it, it, it's definitely turned around. We are, we are no longer a business that has declining customers. Business objective two was to increase the financial value of the NRMA insurance brand. Um, and I think that's through, uh, you know, brand finance. Have you got a number there? Yeah, sure. So the, look, the brand finance work is, is interesting and they, they are incredibly robust and incredibly respected when it comes to valuing brands. They've yep. got two metrics. The one I like the most is the brand strength index. So what that is, is a, it's sort of an aggregate brand equity measure. Um, and I think it's the best one. And we went from, we were 36th strongest brand in Australia, according to the brand finance, brand strength index. Uh, when we started this journey, we're now the third strongest. Now, what's extraordinary about being the third strongest is we're only sold in New South Wales and Queensland up until right. the last couple of weeks, as Greeny pointed out. Um, and, you know, in, in first place is Combank, in second place is Optus, in third place is NRMA Insurance. I mean, yeah, they are much, much bigger businesses and brands than we are. Um, mm. So being third on that index is, is, you know, amazing. And to go from 36 to three in four years is, is you know, amazing movement. In terms of putting a financial value on that, now remember, Brent, this isn't, these aren't numbers that appear in our annual report or our or on our balance sheet, because this is just brand finance putting a valuation on the brand. But but they, they say that, that we've increased the value of the brand by $300 million in the last four years. Now, we can only right. realise that value if we sold the brand, right? Like, I mean, you know, that's how, that, that's, that's how brand valuations work, and we're not about to do that. But, but it does show you um, that we have absolutely um, increased the value of the brand, not theoretically, but in terms of, you know, hard numbers that accountants can account for. Yes, that's right. Well, it's empirical, perhaps. The comms objective, one of the other things was to was to drive consideration, cut through recognition uh, and grow brand consideration. So all those things, the, those are the con- tick, 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 done, done. Tick, tick. And the brand tracking has been, again, I talked earlier about make sure you set things up the right way. We had years and years of great brand tracking. Um, so it was really great because we could compare it to past campaigns. We could compare it to our competitors. We had a really good sense of how all the brand metrics were moving. The, the thing I like most in all the brand metrics is when we looked at cut through, um, dollar per point of cut through, right? So it's really interesting to think about, you know, how, you know, how, how recognizable is an ad recognition? Um, and then can people actually, do people actually know the brand? And we were smashing the industry norms on all that stuff and smashing our previous performance on all that stuff. But what was really, really interesting was when you start looking at, you know, dollar per cut through point, we were doing it way more efficiently than anyone else in the category. What, what was great for us was, you know, we, we had some big spending competitors, Budget Direct have spent a lot of money in the last few years in this category, uh, but we were able to actually convert our spend to brand health at an incredibly efficient and incredibly effective rate. Right. I was going to ask a sort of a slightly provocative one, which is, you know, apart from anything else, did you just spend your way out of this, you know, in terms of um, marketing? No, we, we, so, you know, again, if you're a disciple of Peter Field and Les Burnett and you know all about ESOV, excess share of voice, um, mm. it's been, it's been, you know, to use your word, empirically proven that if, if you spend above your market share, if, you're, if your share of voice is above your market share, then you are more likely to grow. And if it's below your market share, you are more likely to decline. And, and we have not had share of voice above our market share maybe ever uh, on NRMA, but certainly not in the last decade. And, and, and certainly over this period, we've won these effies. 
we had a significant delta between our market share and our share of voice around 10 percentage points. So, so we've managed to do yeah. it not at all by spending uh, our, our, our way to growth. Uh, we've done it through, as I said at the very top, it's a creative, this is a this is creative-led effectiveness, not media-led effectiveness, and not, and, and not about how much we've spent. It's about having incredibly well-branded uh, and incredibly um, strong emotional stories that connect with people. I'm just going to summarize a couple of points, and I'm going to ask uh, Mark and, and Fabio uh, a question before we wrap this up. Um, so some of the other key uh, points of the document, the questions that are asked in the EFI's uh, submissions, did you... Uh, l- lower any prices no did you lower prices no you didn't right there's no price there's no price decline the did you increase uh, distribution and in fact your branch footprint declined didn't, didn't increase so the distribution nothing there uh and were there any seasonal seasonal contributions so that bit i don't know we've always got seasonal stuff happening haven't we there's floods fires bushfires that, that that's not anything to do with the business growth no very short and accurate answer, Brent Smart. Um, so, makes, for good, makes for good radio. <laughs> it does. So, Mark and Fabio, um, so you've seen, you know, you've done a lot of work across your careers and you've done a lot of entries, award entries, a lot of effies. Um, how does this compare, the NRMA and what you've done with that? How does it compare to some of the other stuff that you've been involved in and, and have done? Was this harder because it was such a bigger beast or just give us your thoughts on on some of your other work? I think the 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 great thing about this uh, campaign and getting to the work is that um, we got there so quickly because everybody was on the same page and the experience of the people around the table um, was very strong. Uh, We had some great corporate history, um, some good experience in launching and successfully navigating brands, Australian brands, big brands over many, many years. And I think that just we just got there much, much more quickly because of the experience around the table. And I think if I can say one thing about this team effort, it's that. And it's um, I, th- I think it's uh, you know probably one of the sharpest um, strategic and creative journeys that I've been involved in, and certainly for the monkeys over the duration of our fifteen years. And even some of the campaigns beyond that, I think um, we just we've been in lockstep all the way, and uh, you know the results have come off the back of that. Um, the work has been great over many campaigns, and um, and the results have followed. So it's a vote for older, wiser heads in this instance. Instance then, right, um, Fabio? You know, you're the strategy guy. You talk about that uh, strategically and what you've been involved in and other with other brands and clients. How does that sit for you uh, strategically? I, I got to say, mate, that this has probably been the most intense four years uh, relationship building building this thing together. I think everyone's in it 100. percent I think the passion across the group from day one when Smarty came in has has been has been there. It's been intense. We've we've wanted to beat you know, uh, beat the world in some way in terms of what we're doing and and getting an RMA insurance back to its absolute bloody best. So it, it's been full on and in a really really good way. You know, in, mm. in a way that we don't want to let each other down. We obsess over these things. The detail. Smarty pushes us really really hard. I think it's also fair to say, Fabio, that there's uh, there's there's healthy debate and constructive arguments along the way. This is, you know, I don't want to paint too rosy a picture here. Like, you know, I think that we're prepared, everyone's prepared to kind of back an opinion here and, you know, argue the point. And, uh, 
you know, move on if if we disagree, you know, like get to an answer. But how good is Brent Smart at Stink Eye then? Let's have that one. Not as good as not as good as Mark Green is. I love some detail, but I won't I won't uh, I won't go there. We're about to wrap up. We touched on uh what next and you've already talked about the national. So what next in your national rollout? So what are your expectations there? Is this again it's a brand building effort too, because those markets don't really have anything to do with it. I mean it's like the RACV or RACQ or anywhere else coming to to, to you know, Sydney, um, not well known. So you've got a brand building effort all over again, do you? Yeah, that's right. And and we um, just in very simple terms, um, let's take our biggest brand into more markets, our biggest and strongest brand into more markets. Um, you know, we've got the SGI and SGIC brands in WA and South Australia, and um, they've struggled for relevance. And, and, and you know, it, it's interesting they're a pretty similar story to where NRMA was sort of four years ago. So we're bringing our, our strongest brand into those markets. We feel that it can compete. We feel that it can absolutely, um, you know, drive some growth for us in those markets like it has here in New South Wales and, and also in Queensland. As you've pointed out previously, it is the National Roads and Motor Organisation Association. Correct. That's Association. What, that, it's not the New South Wales Roads and mm, Motor Association. The right. N stands for national, So, which is great because – one way I've been talking about it internally is this has actually been 100 years in the making, taking this brand national. It always wanted to be national. Uh, and now we're really sort of, you know, fulfilling the brand's original purpose. So, so. Okay. And from, from Fabio and Mark, uh, what next in terms of, yep, you've rolled it out. Does, what do you see it from a, from a, from a branding and advertising communications context? What do you, what do you, what do you envisage? Yeah, look, I, I think you've always got to evolve and keep the viewer engaged in what's next. Uh, I think you've got the strategic tenets of help in, embedded in the business, embedded in the marketing, and I think you'll see more evolution of how we tell that story. And uh, yeah, look, I think I think there's also greater permission to push the boat out and make a difference with this brand because we've we've got some runs on the board. So we're hoping it keeps getting more interesting from here. What's your sense, Fabio? Keep, keep it, as Greedy said, when we when we took help back to market, we just didn't do it the same way, we reinvented it. We, we didn't stand still with it. And I, I think we just need to keep doing that going forward and, and finding the, the best way to express this idea of help and hopefully do more culturally connective stuff as well, like some really big culturally um, impactful work that can uh, move the dial across every state and the nation and and make us all feel good. So really exciting. And I think once we've got that national platform and having that one consistent voice across every market, it's going to be really special. Final question for you, Brent Smarters. So where does the executive team sit now with everything um, that you've done and what is possible when you take a different strategic approach to brand versus all the other things that go on? So what, where is their understanding now and what do they say to you? Job well done, young man. Look, I, I, I think the big change for me is the is the pride is back in the NRMA brand, and I think and I think that's a really powerful thing inside organisations. And I think, as marketers, it's one of the biggest things we can influence. Um, and 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 you know, you've heard me talk a lot about CX and digital transformation and all these things that we're working on inside big companies, uh, and that's all really important, good work. But the simplest thing you can do to reinvent your CX is to make your people feel proud. If they're proud to represent the brand they deliver a better customer experience. Um, and, so, and so that's been the big change. Yeah, there's, real, there's real, the pride in, in, in RMA is, is very strong inside our organisation. Um, 
and I and I, and I, I think that's a beautiful thing and, and a really powerful thing. Um, f- for me, on the on the what's next question, it's a great question. What's easier for me to answer is what won't change rather than what will change. And what won't change as long as I'm CMO at IG is this brand will stand for help. I hope it stands for help forever. Um, and I think we should never have wavered from it. We should never have moved away from it. Um, but in bringing it back, I really do hope that Paul McIntyre Jr. is doing a podcast in, in you know, 50 years or whatever, and, and, and it's it's still about help. I think it's it's one of those enduring brand ideas like Just Do It for Nike. Um, and, and I think... Uh, uh, you know that that can't change in my mind. Well, for the record, my twenty-year-old wants nothing to do with publishing or journalism. He thinks it's a mad game, so that's not going to happen. But Brent Smart, Mark Green, Fabio, thanks, gents. We'll loop around and you know see how the national rollout goes out and um, and how the the brand gets built. Thanks for joining. Great and congratulations on the on the gong. That's one. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, 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 Jess. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.